Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Conference USA podcast on underdogdynasty.com. SB Nation's home for the group of five and FCS. Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry here with you as always. And we are mixing it up to preview week zero a little bit this week. We have uh, a third wheel, so to speak, but um, we're super excited that he's here. And uh, we're going to bring you a nice little tricycle of analysis uh, for the Conference USA games this week. Uh, our, our third is Adrian Broadus. Uh, if you're a UTEP fan, you know him from 600 ESPN El Paso. He's the host of Minor Talk. And uh, he's been on this show a couple times so uh adrian thanks so much for coming back on man joe eric it's great to come back with you guys talk some uh group of five football and to be honest with you guys no one sheds a light on uh conference usa football like underdog dynasty so i love what you guys do and uh yeah i'm really happy to be a part of this thanks for inviting me yeah no worries i mean eric if if people keep being nice to us we're gonna go off the deep end and become dark side i don't know what else to say about that people need to start being mean to me again i miss it (laughs) <laughs> don't don't worry joe we uh have our faithful conference usa listeners at least for one more year uh, of certain fans <laughs> like to uh give you a hard time so i'm sure they will have no issues being mean to you joe oh that's true that's very true um all right well boys let's let's dive into this first uh game and it's one that's been uh, anticipated by a lot of cosa fans particularly in the state of texas it's uh north texas heading to el paso to face the utep miners you can find that one at 9 p.m eastern so 7 p.m el paso time i believe right is that set, no, are they central or mountain time that's right it's uh mountain time over here and that's seven o'clock okay. kickoff that's exactly right all right, seven o'clock local time in El Paso, nine o'clock Eastern on Stadium is where you can find that. And uh, for all the gambling types out there, uh, from our friends at DraftKings, looks like North Texas is minus one uh, heading into that game. So you can check out those odds. But um, guys, let's let's start to dive into this. Uh, what do we think about you know a UTEP fans are really excited for this. I think they had like less than five thousand tickets sold last time I checked. Yeah, five, it's, it's interesting. Remaining. Or, or go ahead, go ahead, Adrian. I'm sorry. I, I, you said five thousand tickets sold. I just forgot to throw the quick note there, Joe. Uh, sorry, yes, less than five thousand tickets remaining. Well, yeah, that's been the talk of the town. I mean, the buzz and excitement about this team, this UTEP football team, coming off a bowl appearance for the first time in seven years last season. Uh, getting back to a winning record was was huge for Dana Dimmel because I felt like the top, the clock was kind of ticking. He he arrived in 2018 and people were not happy with uh, back-to-back seasons of winning just one game uh then they come up in the pandemic shortened season and they uh post three wins under their belt and then it all culminates into last season where they kind of had a, a an amazing start first off not kind of they did have an amazing start at, uh six and one but they were beating opponents who were definitely lesser quality opponents it, you know to put it nicely uh and then they struggled 
on the latter part of the season. But I thought that, you know, the way that they showed up in that Fresno State game really showed how this team battled throughout the year and how they continue to fight even against the top opponents across the, you know, across the country. And I, I was I was pretty impressed just to see the way that UTEP turned up last year. And now it all comes to this season where expectations are a lot higher. Now the fan base is starting to come back. They're excited about this team. The tickets are selling like crazy. The, the problem is, guys, the UTEP often falls short when games are highly anticipated like this. Remember the UTSA game last year and how excited the UTEP fan base was when uh, the Roadrunners were coming into town? They were ranked. And what happens with UTEP? They laid an egg in that game. They lost 44-23. They started off sluggish. I thought they looked tight to start things off. So if you're a UTEP fan, you're hoping that UTEP could start off a lot better this time around, knowing just how, you know, how anticipated this game against North Texas really is. Adrian, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of something you said there before I pass it back to Joe. You talked about the fact that the last few times that UTEP has had this type of, you know, kind of buzz around the game. Unfortunately, they've laid an egg and kind of fallen short on the field. Just want to ask, what is the feeling there down the ground in El Paso as far as, you know, this year? Is it feel a little bit different, you know, given the fact that the past few times, maybe, you know, things kind of came uh, a little sudden by surprise as far as the, you know, the game and maybe the notoriety behind it, whereas You've had the whole off season to kind of prep for this this year. Yeah, the it's interesting because last year was kind of like the prove it year. Fans continue to say, well, you know, whatever, prove it, prove it that you can make a bowl game, prove that you can win more games, you know, post actually a winning record. And this year, the narrative has shifted to, well, our expectations are high. UTEP has not won a bowl game since 1967, so they're trying to break that streak this season. Um, that that really fuels a lot of the players on this team. And, you know, a lot of the players on this roster had a bad taste in their mouth with how the season ended, not just the bowl game losing at the New Mexico Bowl, but, you know, losing five of the last six games, especially in conference play. That was a huge uh, a huge thing that you heard all across the board when it comes to these players over the off season. So they kind of feel like the, the players themselves feel like they want to redeem themselves from last year and they're setting high expectations for themselves. And the fan base, are they're setting high expectations for this UTEP football team. Remember, Dana Dimmel did receive a contract extension over the offseason, and it was met with pretty much, you know, understanding from the fan base. Everybody kind of got it why he, he earned that two-year extension. But the interesting part about this is, UTEP fans are, are fair weather. They, they're very – they will only support a winner, and as soon as this team starts to waver, they will definitely uh, depart. So this one is a huge game for the Miners, trying to attract more attendance throughout the season. And if they lose this one against North Texas, uh, I'd be worried about that New Mexico State game and the Boise State game as far as drawing a big crowd. You mentioned kind of the the players having that bad taste in their mouth. I'm curious what Coach Dimmel's mindset is. We got to hear from a little from him a little bit at CUSA Media Day, and it was a lot of X's and O's talk. But you know, just from a mindset standpoint i'm curious what he's thinking about maintaining that momentum that you talked about after last year it's interesting because dana dimmel is somebody who's very even keel he uh he has somebody who will not tell you how excited he is for a season or how worried he is for a season his mind his his mind shift has really come where it's like now he's telling his his players in the locker room hey you guys haven't won anything you 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 haven't necessarily done anything up to this point the slate is wiped clean 
as far as he's concerned. So he is trying to urge his team to earn that, that um, I guess, kind of like that spotlight again from the fan base or earn the recognition uh, both league-wide and uh, across the country or at least through the group of five. He wants his team to become a Kansas State, and that's, that's a program that goes bowling year after year that posts winning records year after year while he was there with, uh, you know, previous head coach Bill Snyder. That's, that was the mantra that they, uh, you know, they kind of maneuvered with over there at K-State. So now he's trying to bring that same mentality over at UTEP. And whether or not it will pan out, I think that's, that's a big question because historically speaking, when UTEP has a successful season, they come off that season right there. They typically have a down year. They regress right away. And, and you saw that in the offseason between 2014 when they won seven games under previous coach Sean Kugler. And then they went, you know, down, down the drain right after that in 2015. They really couldn't, there was an argument that they could have made a bowl game that year, but they, they simply didn't. They posted, a, you know, they posted a way less record than what they expected that season. And uh, even look back to 2011. That's a year they also came off another bowl game in 2010 under Mike Price. And they, they fell short that following season as well. So sustaining success, is that, that's the biggest, uh, I guess, foundational piece for Dana Dimmel. And that's kind of how he's approaching this season. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, for better or worse, there's a lot of pressure on both of these teams heading into this game. We've obviously talked a lot about the pressure on UTEP to kind of maintain the momentum that they've built uh, based on last season. But then if you look at the North Texas side, um, it's a very similar feeling, you know, plenty of questions about, you know, that that offensive backfield, particularly the quarterback position. Uh, however, the run game did look great at the end of last year and, and really a lot of aspects of their team looked great at the end of last year, obviously ended the regular season with six straight wins to get back to a bowl game. And I think their fan base is also kind of questioning, you know, whether or not they can, you know, keep themselves at that level of where they're at. So, you know, Eric, let's, let's start with you. I guess I'm curious what your expectations are for North Texas heading into this game. Yeah. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, I guess coincidentally is probably a better word. North Texas is kind of in a similar situation as UTEP in that they are looking to really prove themselves as a school that was selected to join the American Conference coming up and also prove that last year wasn't a fluke. That was a team that started out the one and five or one and six, if my memory is serving correct, until they had that streak where, you know, really coincided with the improvement of the defense. And they were able to rally off a few wins and qualify for a bowl contention. I think, uh, you know, with that upset win of UTSA was really what uh, did the trick for them there. So in my mind, this game is just as crucial for North Texas to come out and show that, you know, hey, they're a team that is on the rise. And specifically when you look at that schedule, Joe, with North Texas, I mean, uh, after UTEP, they've got SMU, they've got Memphis. So they're going to face, and then you look at their conference schedule, they go to UTSA and to UAB. So this game may be just as crucial as far as for Seth Latrell's club to kind of avoid another, you know, season in which they're coming down the stretch trying to make five, six, seven wins and, you know, qualify for a bowl game. So definitely think it'll be interesting. And in terms of on the field, they've chosen to go with Austin Ani. So I think that kind of shows that they're very much in, you know, win now slash win with what's proven. And that's going to be a heavy dose of the running game, a run game that, rushed for over 3,000 yards last year, and to try to depend on some defensive stalwarts like KD Davis and others. Adrian, what are your thoughts on how UTEP matches up with this uh, North Texas team here? Yeah, when I was doing my uh, prep on North Texas, I was just floored with how many similarities uh, North Texas has with the Miners. I, I just – 
you know, you look at the expectations that are around this group. That really reminds me of what UTEP's dealing with. They brought in Grant Gannell from uh, Arizona, and he's somebody who I thought was going to challenge Austin Ani for that uh, quarterback spot. Maybe he still will as the season continues. But that that um, quarterback situation is kind of like how fans view the UTEP quarterback situation because while there is, I, I think, kind of national um, – I, I guess no, no, uh, you know, Gavin Hardison is kind of like that noteworthy quarterback at that spot. There were a lot of fans who wanted a qu- open quarterback battle in the off season between Gavin Hardison and somebody else, not, not somebody else on the roster necessarily, but I just found that pretty interesting. I also think that uh, North Texas relies on what they can do defensively with some of their smash mouth players like KD Davis. I would say KD Davis is to North Texas, like Breon Hayward is to the minors. The only difference is Katie Davis is definitely playing on Saturday. We have no clue whether or not uh, the former leading tackler for the minors from last season will be playing or not when it comes to kickoff, uh, you know, on August 27th. So a lot of similarities all across the board. I feel like North Texas wants to, you know, go back to a bowl game this year. And if you look at their schedule, it's it's uh, pretty heavy when it comes to their non-conference schedule with teams like Memphis and SMU. But there's an argument that their non their actual conference USA schedule is a little bit more favorable, especially their games at home. So there is a path for them to try to get back to a bowl game. And I think that's exactly what this team wants. Would definitely hope so if you're uh, Seth Luttrell. And, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the paths that both these teams are on um, very similar and bowl games for both these squads are, are very attainable. So we'll see where the season takes them, but it's all going to start this week. Um, before we move on to uh, some of the other games on the week zero slate, uh, do want to note the matchups in the interior are really intriguing me. Uh, you know, we know how good Manasseh Mose is for uh, North Texas at center. I think he's going to do a decent job of managing uh, UTEP's interior line. However, as we, we all know, the edge rushers, the edge guys, J.J. and Trailer, and uh, Praise Amahule are really the the big weapons for this UTEP defense. And I'm curious to see what happens with um, North Texas. Obviously, their tackles have a few more questions than their interior line. So I'm curious, you know, if Gavin Hardison, or rather, if Austin Ani is going to be able to combat that and get plays off quick enough to make a difference for his team. I think that's a huge key, Joe. I, I really do. I think that when you're looking at the uh, front six for the minors, it's not, you know, you talk about Praise and Jadrian who are, who are standout players for them, but I love their interior guys in Kelton Moss and Keenan Stewart. And if you look at any kind of advanced analytics, uh, they will love those two defensive uh, tackles for the minors. And I also think beyond those four guys up front, you have a lot of depth behind them. And UTEP loves to switch in their edge rushers and, and give guys like Praise and Jadrian a rest uh, during time, you know, during uh, different possessions and stuff like that. So I would look at guys in the 2D, Maurice Westmoreland. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a sack uh, here in the early part of the season, along with guys like Daylon Williams. He's a strong uh, defensive end as well for the minors. So I, I like their depth also up front. And then when it comes to, you know, their, their linebackers, I wouldn't be surprised to see them bring the heat and have Tyrese Knight try to, you know, rush Austin Ani in this game as well. So I think that that is going to be a great matchup. And uh, you, men- you mentioned that um, front line for North Texas. I also really like Cole Brown, who 
who's also coming back for their team and who can really provide a lot of depth for them up front. So uh, this is going to be a real interesting battle. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how Austin Ani, how, how much pressure Austin Ani gets throughout the game. Eric, any thoughts about those, uh, those linemen that we mentioned? You know, in my mind, and I won't blabber this too much because we do have some other games we want to get to, but in my mm-hmm. mind, that is not only is it a pivotal matchup, it is the pivotal matchup because I have praise Amahule as our listeners and readers know is my number one player in Conference USA returning entering this year. And, you know, Adrian talked about the depth on that defensive line, but specificity, what I think, or at least what I, you know, I, in my opinion, I, I feel like it's a fair estimate as far as what North Texas is going to do is they're going to run the football. That's not to say that, you know, they don't have some playmakers on the outside, Roger Burns and others, but it, it's just fair to think given the strength of this football team last year and, you know, kind of, Again, this is not – I don't think there's anything you know, negative with calling Austin Ani a game manager, but at this point in time, you kind of know he is what he is. He's a guy who's not going to win it for you, not going to lose it for you. They're going to depend on that run game and you know, hoping that guys like Katie Davis and others can, can make some plays. So it is going to be crucial that they can pound the rock and make some plays because, as Adrian talked about, you know, obviously the status of Breon Hayward is still in question, but you got a guy like Tyrus Knight and others. That front seven, I think, right now you have to think advantage UTEP. So it's going to be crucial to see how North Texas can kind of you know establish that run game and, and keep the ball on the ground and keep the clock moving. All right, with that, let's jump into uh, let's talk some Western Kentucky. Um, I know they're the first game for all of the G five uh, coming up on. Saturday at noon Eastern on CBS Sports Network uh, in Bowling Green there. And frankly, this is a game where I don't think Western is going to have too much issue getting the victory. That being said, as Eric likes to tease me frequently, they have had issues with FCS opponents in the past. We've talked about that Central Arkansas game from a few years ago. Uh, They obviously lost to Maine at home during the Mike Sanford era. Um, That being said, after watching some of the practice tape that some of the guys from like the Bowling Green Daily News and and stuff like that have posted of Austin Reed, who recently won that QB1 battle over uh, Jared Dagey, who's now at Troy. I love the way this guy moves. I think his deep ball is fascinating. And if guys like Daywood Davis and um, and really just the rest of that receiving core can find ways to get open downfield, I think they're going to have uh, just they're going to have enough big plays to score more points. And frequently that and and frankly, that's what's important here. That being said, Austin P does have some some interesting pieces. But, you know, Eric, we'll, we'll start with you. What are you expecting to see from the tops in this one? Yeah, Joe, the big thing I'm really looking for is, A, how will Austin Reed perform? It's not necessarily that this is going to be a bigger stage for him. You know, granted, going from Division II to uh, FBS, in theory, the level of competition is going to be better. But, you know, I honestly think it's going to be something he can't handle. But just as far as adjusting this offense, Joe, if you remember, in the early part of last year, there was a little bit of an adjustment process for Bailey Zappi. Now, of course, that sounds somewhat bizarre to say, given the fact that he ended up breaking multiple school records and, of course, you know, national passing records. But it, it did take a little bit of time for Bailey Zappi to kind of set in and for that offense to kind of set in and find their groove, right? So keep an eye on that. Number two, defensively, they're replacing Beanie Bishop, replacing D'Angelo Malone, replacing, you know, a, a litany of players. And on that offensive line as well, guys who've transferred to the Power Five. So how are those new guys going to fare in you know different roles? Guys like Quantavius Leslie is definitely one of the top returning offensive linemen in Conference USA. He's going to be the leader amongst the pack, as opposed to a guy who's really stepping in and trying to finding his way last year. Last but not least, 
I'm curious to see, Joe, is the run game going to be more pronounced this year? And now, of course, and last with the offense, you know, kind of those quick bubble screens that you saw to Jarrah Stearns serve as an extension of the run game, right? But are we going to see a little bit more, maybe Jakari Moses and others in terms of uh, establishing that run game? So I do think it'll be interesting. Scotty Walden obviously has experience coaching in Conference USA, the former interim Southern Miss head coach for a handful of games, I believe two years ago for he took over at Austin P. So do think it'll be interesting, but all in all, I, I think this is a game that Western Kentucky should just in terms of sheer talent and playmakers uh, should pull away in the second half. For sure. There, there's a reason why none of the sports books have even set lines for this game, but you know, Adrian, I, I know you're going to be glued uh, to that TV when UTEP comes on, but um, what are you expecting to see in this early game between the tops and the governors? Yeah, it's interesting because the Governors, who had a winning season last year, they've, they uh, have lost their last FBS games by uh, a good margin. So I, I do expect Western Kentucky to roll on this one. But I, I am curious to see what they're going to bring offensively. And then defensively with this group, it's really interesting you, you talk about uh, what happened last year, Eric, because, you know, Coach Helton, I, I think they had a, a pretty tough stretch last year where their offense just didn't produce as much where their defense would then uh you know their defense would then uh have to be in in tough situations like last year they allowed 436 yards per game and you look at the guys who are coming back this year I like their linebackers I think their uh their secondary is a little bit better this year but you just look at their schedule as a whole this Western Kentucky team has a tough road ahead of them um and and I'm I'm curious to see how they'll manage uh, against a couple different power five teams that they have to play this year in Auburn and Indiana and then also you know you have games like UAB at home and then UTSA on the road just a real interesting schedule all in all for the western uh, kentucky hilltoppers but uh yeah I, I feel like they'll they'll have a lot of success this weekend yeah i mean as you both pointed out obviously starting the season strong has been a little bit of an issue for both uh, for western kentucky the last couple of years so given the strength of the rest of their schedule that you pointed out adrian i am hoping that they just get in that mindset of playing you know as mistake free football as you can get. Um, <laughs> and it took a little while for them to get rolling last year. And while obviously you can't dwell on mistakes, they're going to make them. You have to be able to get yourself in that position where you're limiting them and getting in those habits for when you play much, much tougher opponents down the road. Um, and I, I mentioned that there's no uh, gambling information for this game just yet, which should show you how high the expectations are for a Western Kentucky win here. Um, but to play uh, to get to the last game uh, on the COSA schedule in week zero here, we have Florida Atlantic uh, hosting Charlotte and uh, Charlotte or rather uh, Florida Atlantic actually favored uh, minus uh, seven, seven and a half, depending on where you go. Um, looks like minus seven on DraftKings. But, you know, we've talked to both Will Healy and Willie Taggart very recently, Eric, and both these guys seem like they have their teams in spots where they're not looking ahead to the rest of the schedule. They are just focused on starting this season with a win. And I, I like that approach. And I'm curious to see who is going to come out on top here, uh, given the matchups that we've we've talked about ad nauseum the last couple of weeks. Joe, this is the game that I, you know, selfishly, I'm looking forward to the most. That's no slight on the UTEP UNT game, but I at least feel, you know, if for either of those teams, if they lose, while 
as Adrian talked about, especially in UTEP, it's a little bit depressing in terms of the, the atmosphere on the ground. Uh, I don't think it's going to break their season. And I think it's the same, you can say, maybe a little less so for North Texas, but I don't think it sends fans into panic mode. I think for Charlotte and FAU, these are programs in really, really unique spots. And I'm definitely curious to hear Adrian's thoughts on this as well, someone who covers Conference USA. When you look at Charlotte, we all know what happened a couple of years ago when they made the bowl game, but people tend to forget that that was a team that did struggle. I remember when that team came to FIU and they lost something like 48 to 23. And there was a quote in the Charlotte Observer from Will Healy where he was saying, man, you know, maybe I got a little ahead of myself as far as thinking, you know, how quickly I could get things turned around. And then lo and behold, the team ends up finding its groove. Alex Highsmith breaks out, Vic Tucker breaks out, Chris Reynolds, you know, breaks out as well. And they end up winning, I believe it was five of their last six to qualify for a bowl game. And then you look at FAU and Willie Taggart, regular listeners of this podcast know that I am a fan of Willie Taggart. I think he's a, an excellent football coach. He's a football coach who doesn't get as much credit as he deserves for turning around certain programs. They just tend to look at the fact that he left Oregon after one year and then Florida State, which as it's seen with Mike Norvell, is certainly far than just one coach is the issue there in Tallahassee as far as that's concerned. But the fact of the matter is it, it has been two years since FAU has qualified for a bowl game. Uh, or excuse me, not two years, two years since they've, they've uh, you know, had a winning record. Uh, and the fact of the matter is the program just really hasn't been where it's at since Lane Kiffin left. And listen, part of that is because, not to say that Lane Kiffin left the, the cupboard bare, but it was a much different FAU team that Lane Kiffin had in terms of the, you know, the talent on the field and the one that Willie Taggart took over. You know, there were some holes at certain positions. They, they did lose a Chris Robinson at quarterback, right? That's another thing people forget. That feels like a blast from the past, but Chris Robinson was one of the better quarterbacks in Conference USA during his tenure. So they had to figure out the quarterback position. They had to figure out certain things defensively. And I think the additions of a a lot of veteran coaches are going to make a difference. But again, bringing back to my initial point, for FAU fans on the ground, I can tell you this much in Boca, they're expecting a win. And I know Charlotte fans are certainly wanting to win to to kind of get things back where they were as far as a couple of years ago. So it's going to be really interesting. I think this one will come down to Really, you know, the the stars, the playmakers on the field for FAU and Nikosi Perry, we just saw that. Maybe surprisingly, Joe, Johnny Ford is not the RB1, although Willie Taggart said that he will see plenty of time. It is Larry McCammon, the former uh, three-star recruit out of Hoover, Alabama. But then you look on the defensive side, guys like Evan Anderson, guys like TJ Young. Uh, Willie Taggart's been very high on Smoke Mungeon, Romaine Mungeon at cornerback as well. So it's going to come down to those guys for FAU. And, it, it, of course, for Charlotte, it, it's going to be their stars offensively. Chris Reynolds, Vic Tucker, Grant DeBose, and don't forget that uh, third receiver, Elijah Spencer, as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But in, in my mind, I, I still lean towards FAU. I don't know about it as a seven-point favorite, but I just think there are too many questions as far as Charlotte defensively to have it all figured out by week zero. Adrian, your thoughts on this Charlotte-FAU matchup? Yeah, the over the past uh, seven years that I've covered the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, which is played here in El Paso, there have been two coaches that have really stood out to me. Number one is uh, Coach Shaw of Stanford. I think that's pretty obvious, right? I mean, if you get a, if you get him in, in a room and you get to hear from him, you really understand how much he knows about football and just what a brilliant man he really is. But my second most impressive uh, coach that I got to interact with was Willie Taggart. And, I, I mean, when he was taking over as an interim for – Florida State, just the way he handled things over there. I, I was just so impressed with him overall. And and I think that, you know, as soon as Florida Atlantic made that hire, I just thought it was a, 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 a going to be a slam dunk. I mean, they 
they really got a, a great one in Willie Taggart. And I've, I've really liked Nikosi Perry throughout the years at quarterback, but I, I agree. Um, can we all agree that we like these Conference USA openers in week zero? Because, I mean, how entertaining is it to watch the Owls and the 49ers, which on Charlotte's side, you look at Will Healy, he's trying to build things over there. Chris Reynolds has been around at, at this conference for a while now, and he's trying to really show what he can do in this league and take it to another level, get back to winning ways, and get back to a bowl game. And on the flip side with FAU, the time is now. The Owls want to win this year. So uh, I'm going to side with you, Eric. I think FAU squeezes this one out. They've won their – they've won uh, when it comes to their home openers under Willie Taggart. They are 2-0. and And then on the flip side with the 49ers, they've lost their last six road openers uh, that they've had, uh, you know, throughout their their football program in recent years. So I'm still siding with the Owls, although I think this is going to be a really fun matchup to watch. It is. It really is, I think. And to play devil's advocate and uh, talk about Charlotte a little bit, um, they've played really well on CBS Sports Network over the last couple of years. That being said, their loss, their one loss on CBS Sports Network last year was against FAU where they lost 38 to 9. Uh, so I'm interested to see what this offensive line can do to kind of limit the disruption that Evan Anderson's inevitably going to cause. Uh, and of course we all know that rush defense last year was, um, an issue. It was a big issue. So how, uh, how are they going to come into this game? How have they improved? And, you know, do they kind of come out with that same sense of urgency that we saw at the beginning of last season, but didn't really maintain throughout, uh, throughout the year. But, you know, I, I understand why everybody's picking FAU and it's tough to argue, but based on how hungry this Charlotte team seems to be, I would not be surprised if this one came down to the last like quarter of play, if that makes sense. All right. As we get into week zero, I know it's been a long offseason, so uh, thank you all once again for uh, for sticking with us and uh, learning more about CUSA as we go. Um, if you want to follow Adrian on Twitter, highly recommend you do that. It's just Adrian brought us, and you can catch him on 600 ESPN El Paso. Um, Adrian, before we go, um, anything, uh, any work of yours that you want to plug, anything that you want folks to, to check out as uh, we get into football season here? Yeah, just check out 600ESPNLPasa.com. We'll have all the pregame content uh, ahead of time for this game against North Texas. We already got some articles up on the website right now. Uh, but I would say just check that website out. You could even listen to our daily show Sports Talk there. Uh, and it, it airs 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. to 7 over here in El Paso. Fantastic. And uh, if you want to follow us, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And of course, at Underdog Dynasty for more G5 football updates every single day. All right. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you again very, very soon. Peace.